ticket. It's that time again when everyone's talking about resolutions and a new year, new you plans. You know what I mean? Well, listen, the current you is just fine. No sweeping changes necessary there. But adopting new family routines that strengthen your relationship with Jesus may be exactly the change you need in 2023. You can work on that with Talk About. Talk About is the newest Awana product designed to help you and your kids talk together about the Bible and faith and what it all means as we walk through this life. When you subscribe to Talk About, you get weekly bundles of digital resources in your email with goodies like conversation guides to help you explain scriptures, midweek activity sheets, and even Spotify playlists to go along with the series. Visit talkaboutdiscipleship.com and use code WEST to try Talk About for free. You'll get two free months of resources starting with where it all began, creation. Make this the year your family focuses on faith. Go to talkaboutdiscipleship.com. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me today. Got a little more reverb in my vocal today because I'm in the main part of the story house, not the vocal booth, and uh, there's a specific reason for that. The chair's more comfortable out here. I That's really, I was just being lazy and uh, felt like sitting, sometimes my vocal booth where the acoustics are treated and better, it's darker in there and I just wanted to feel the sunlight on my face. It's January, come on guys. So uh, welcome to another episode. Welcome to the Story House. Thank you for joining me. I've been enjoying some time off the road. Uh, well, I did go on the road for one day. I went to see Winter Jam in Tampa, Florida, um, to see our friends Ann Wilson and We the Kingdom, all the artists. That was a fun time. And then um, getting ready to play Rock the Universe in Orlando, Florida. That's coming up. Very excited about that. But guess what? My spring tour is right around the corner. And guess what else? We're getting so close to the release of my brand new album, My Story, Your Glory, double album, 22 songs. And uh, in fact, I'm going to my website as I'm talking to you right now, going to MatthewWest.com, and then I'm clicking on the shop button. And they are actually doing a really cool thing where you can uh, order some of your album and tour merch early and get autographed copy of some lyrics that I hand wrote. So Check that out at MatthewWest.com. Then go back after you do that and click on Tour, and you can find out where we're going to be. The album comes out February 17th. The tour begins February 23rd, actually in Decatur, Illinois, which is the uh, town where I went to college. And uh, some of the shows have already sold out, I'm told, but um, be sure to get your tickets, and I can't wait to celebrate what I believe is going to be a really special tour, the My Story, Your Glory Tour. We just released a brand new song. We're kind of releasing songs here and there as we lead up to the release of the album. Why? Because, well, that's what I wanted to do. That's why. So excited to share that with you. The song is called You Changed My Name. We're going to get to that a little bit later in songs from the Story House. So I want to dive in today. We are reading The God Who Stays Together, and um, really excited to share this chapter and this part of 
the story of my life with you, and I hope it will impact you today. So without further ado, let's go and dive into the latest book. If you haven't, uh, hopefully you have your copy and you're reading along with me by now. Uh, If for some reason you haven't, you can always pick up a copy. Um, The God Who Stays, let me see the website here, thegodwhostays.com is a great, easy resource where you can just click on a link to any place you like. You can buy it at Target or Amazon or whatever. And there's also some cool resources at thegodwhostays.com if you want to dive deeper. But today we're going to dive deep and uh, going to share this chapter with you. You're going to hear me read it in my own words, and um, I hope it speaks to your heart. So let's dive in. Chapter 4 of The God Who Stays is titled, God Stays with Imperfect People, Rebels, Prodigals, and Misfit Heroes. Let's dive in. I was in the middle of doing one of my many online performances of 2020 when a comment from one of my listeners grabbed my attention. My heart broke as I read the question, is God done with me? And then I watched it move quickly up my phone screen and slowly vanish into the sea of hearts, waves, fist bumps, and praise emojis. That sentence cut through everything else that was going on in my studio, and I could feel the despair in it. Lord, please be with this person, I prayed as I continued to sing and smile for the camera. I'll never know exactly what that person was going through in the moment to make them pose that question, but honestly, I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've asked that very same thing. In fact, just that morning, moments before I began singing, I was wrestling with how God could use someone as imperfect as me. That morning, I thought about those walks with my family and how God had come to walk with Adam and Eve in the story of Genesis. I reminded myself that God wants to walk with me. God actually likes me. He has designed me uniquely and has a plan for me. And I sang those song lyrics I wrote about the God who actually runs in my direction. And still, I was amazed at how frequently I just don't feel worthy. So many times I feel like I am moving in the other direction from God. It made me remember the rest of that scripture about God walking in the cool of the day. He was coming toward Adam and Eve, and the Bible says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Genesis 3:8. They went out and hid from God out of guilt and shame for what they had done. They didn't feel worthy to walk with him. Doesn't that capture how we feel some days? You can almost hear Adam and Eve as they hid, both thinking that same thing as the listener I was praying for. Is God done with me? It seems like since the beginning, we have been messing up, falling short, and missing the mark. And just like Adam and Eve, we all sometimes feel like we aren't quite good enough. But why do we all wrestle with that voice? This belief that we are not worthy of God's love is a common and destructive way of thinking. It is the voice of an enemy who comes to steal and destroy by separating us from a God who wants to be with us, to keep us hiding from the God who is pursuing us with his unique design for our lives. I've noticed that voice attacking me in three distinct ways. First, it tells me I am not good enough, not up to the task. I am not a good enough musician and singer, not a good enough dad or husband. It also comes to me in the form of guilt and shame. Maybe it does for you too. That idea that you were just too sinful, that God isn't going to get over that one. This voice tells me that my pride is out of control, that I just can't stop messing up, which is all part of the lie that God's forgiveness is not complete. 
And worst of all are the whispers that we are too broken for God to fix. We've messed up too many times. God can't use us because of our brokenness. I do find some comfort talking and praying with my peers and bandmates, my accountability partners and friends, and they remind me that these are the things they deal with too. The struggle is real. It has been so many years since that blue couch, so many ups and downs. I know that God is always moving in my direction, but I've often wondered if I have kept him at arm's length because of my own guilt and shame. How could I show up for God if I spent my time believing I didn't measure up? Could I help someone asking, is God done with me, when there were moments that I wrestled with the same question? If he made me with a plan and a purpose, why did I feel so guilt-ridden and unworthy of his love? How could God use someone like me? I kept thinking about those three lies that the world uses to separate us from God. You aren't quite good enough. God won't be able to get over that one. God can't use someone as broken as you are. We simply can't allow ourselves to be defined by those words the not-quites, and the never-get-it-rights. This made me think back to the beginning of my music career. When I first moved to Nashville, I assumed I would get signed to a deal right away. I figured that if I just knocked on the record label door, they would open it, shake my hand, have me sign some papers, and bam, I'd be the next Johnny Cash. Instead, I faced flat-out rejection for three years straight. Every single record label I auditioned for turned me down. And it was always, don't call us, we'll call you. Occasionally, because I wanted to learn and improve my auditions, I would make the mistake of asking the record executives what they didn't like about me. The list was always longer than I expected. I let the rejection from these critics crush me. You're not quite good enough, not quite talented enough, not quite charismatic enough, and not quite handsome enough. I always laughed when they would add quite to the not, like that was supposed to make me feel better. I joke sometimes now that I had many nights lying in bed and crying out to God, Lord, I know that last criticism is not true. (laughs) I know you've blessed me with these Matthew McConaughey-like looks for a reason, and I will not hide this face under a bushel. That one usually gets a pretty good laugh in front of a live audience. But man, the rejection was real. And too often, I allowed those words to define me instead of recognizing God's voice in my life. My good friend Mark Hall from Casting Crowns and I wrote a song about dealing with rejection and the voices that tell you you're just not quite enough to measure up. We talked about how much this mindset can get in the way of embracing God's love. I remember as we wrote it, I was joking about always being the last kid picked for the kickball team and how I was always made fun of as a kid because of my weight. Mark opened up about having undiagnosed dyslexia and how it made him feel stupid and unworthy. The world can make you feel inadequate. We wrote and released a song that spoke right to the heart of the lie that we don't belong and to the truth that God sees things differently than we do. Like it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created to do good works. Still, it can be so hard to remember that God has a different view of us than the world sees. Is it possible I am listening to the wrong voices for encouragement? You would think that growing up in the church as a pastor's kid would have helped prepare me for a career in Christian music. You get to see some unsuspecting people act in really mean ways. And when I was young, there was always the expectation to behave and talk and look a certain way because I was the preacher's son. Sometimes I didn't live up to that. But I have to be honest about the grace thing. 
I didn't realize until I was older that I wasn't offering those folks I saw at church a lot of grace. And in the same way, I didn't offer a lot of grace to myself. Church, where you have it all together, it is difficult to go to church sometimes because I feel like I am always on stage. And I don't want to let people down by looking at my phone or nodding off during a sermon. When you're a public Christian, musician, pastor, or evangelist, it feels like you have to put on a little bit of a Christian Hulk Hogan persona because you know that people have expectations of how you should look and act. It kind of reminds me of when I was seconds away from doing a live television interview. I was led by the stage manager to two matching chairs where I was seated next to the host of the show. She was holding a copy of my new book at the time, a book that had a giant close-up picture of my face on the cover. You remind me so much of my brother, she said. Why's that, I asked. Because he has a lazy eye just like you. Nothing against having a lazy eye, but my friends, I actually don't have one. And even if I did, well, not cool, lady, not cool. To make matters worse, the very next thing I heard was the director shouting, and we are live in five, four, three, two, one. I spent the entire interview wondering if what she said was somehow true, and I just hadn't noticed for 40 years. A nervous sweat began to invade my forehead as my eye began nervously twitching. A natural reaction from the shock of the amateur diagnosis I had just received. As patient as I attempt to be with people, I felt a lot of pressure to keep my cool. Later, I realized how much we strive for and want perfection in everything we do. I felt the pressure to be perfectly polite in that situation, even though it was tough. Sometimes in church, we talk about grace and love, but what we really expect is perfection. We talk about the fact that we all fall short, and we are all sinful, but we dress up and pretend that we are blameless. Sometimes I wish church started a little bit more like a recovery meeting, where we just admit our faults right out of the gate. Hi, I'm Matthew West, and I'm a sinner, and I've fallen short of the glory of God. And the congregation would say, hey, Matthew, maybe we are looking in all the wrong places for approval. No one is perfect, and yet sometimes it feels like we expect perfect appearances inside the walls of the church. As a result, I meet so many people who believe God won't stay with them because of their imperfections, when the exact opposite is true. God always chose the imperfect people to do his best work. In fact, If you look through the Bible, you will notice that he seems to go for those second stringers, the not quites, the people who don't seem to have it all together. He chooses them for his team. He uses them to do his most important stuff. It is interesting to pay close attention to the Bible characters we think of as the great heroes. Why? Because they were all completely flawed. They were the people who had the biggest mess ups. They were the ones who lied, cheated, ran away, or worse. Let's just start with Abraham in the Old Testament, who was so cowardly, he even lied about his own wife, claiming she was his sister so the king wouldn't kill him. There was Moses, the guy who led Israel out of slavery, who actually murdered an Egyptian soldier and then ran away to hide from the authorities. He also begged God not to send him to see Pharaoh and tried to come up with excuse after excuse for why he wasn't qualified for the job. Then, of course, the prophet Jonah ran away from God's calling so fast that it took a giant fish to convince him to do anything right. And King David, who was the author of many of the Psalms and the man the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, well, he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and didn't just stop there. He murdered her husband 
who also happened to be one of his top generals, in order to hide the fact that David had gotten her pregnant. The prophet Elijah, the very guy who watched God bring down fire from the sky in front of a bunch of angry Baal worshipers, hid in a cave when things weren't going his way. And that is just a handful of people from the Old Testament. Carefully read through the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and you will find that the people included in Jesus' family tree are some questionable characters. I'm talking about liars, adulterers, murderers, even a prostitute. But what about the 12 men who were closest to Jesus? The guys called to be his disciples were all outcasts in one way or another. One might have even had a lazy eye. Many of them were fishermen who weren't smart or wealthy enough to make the cut and stay in school past their 15th birthday. One of them was a tax collector detested by his own people. The disciples were the dropouts and the second string players of their day. My favorite of all of them is Peter. His name means the rock. Peter was one of the biggest talkers in the group of disciples. He swore he would stand by Jesus through thick and thin, but he was the very one who denied he even knew Jesus three different times. Despite this monumental mess up, Peter was the disciple whom Jesus later chose to build his church. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew sixteen eighteen. It's pretty clear throughout the Bible that God not only hangs out with the imperfect people, but he seems to choose them to do his most important work. If God can use these people, maybe we should be a little bolder and more confident that Jesus can use us as well. Are you ever too broken for God? God uses us in all our imperfections because of his grace. He seems to fortify the areas where we are weak just to show us his strength. I am constantly in awe of God's grace toward me. I think that is why I write about it so much. I remember being invited to a writing retreat at a place that used to be owned by the iconic country singer Alan Jackson. He had recently sold it, and the new owners wanted to have some Jesus songs written in the same space where so many famous country songs were written. I remember driving out to that cabin in Franklin, Tennessee, and it was like a cowboy's palace, right? It was a stunning property fit for a king. Think cattle on a thousand hills. The main house looked more like the residence of a Hollywood star or D.C. dignitary with big white columns and enough square footage to house every artist on Nashville's Music Row and their family members. As a songwriter, I felt a little intimidated coming to work at a place like this. The road that led to where I would be working was long and winding and led all the way to the back of the property, where a modest two-bedroom log cabin rested in the woods on the edge of the river. I remember walking up to that cabin with the big palace behind me, over my shoulder, and thinking, this is about right. I don't belong in the mansion. Yet even stepping into the simpler log cabin humbled me. This was where so many famous songs had been written, and I felt like I didn't belong. But God took the sentiment and turned it into lines about his grace. That cabin is where I wrote the first words to the song Broken Things, about being a beggar in the presence of a king. You know what's most interesting about the new owner of that southern mansion and the property where the little cabin rested? Alan Jackson sold it to a guy who made his fortune thanks to some creative ingenuity. He is a self-described junkyard dog, an expert on everything about cars and car parts. His business takes cars that have been totaled in a wreck and finds a way to salvage and sell the seemingly worthless car parts for a profit, a hefty profit. 
and I could buy Alan Jackson's mega mansion kind of profit. When you look through the pages of the Bible, you learn that God is in the junkyard business too. If we pay attention, we'll notice he is always working beautiful results out of the broken things in our lives. He takes what others may see as worthless and says, I see value, I see purpose, I see a way to redeem this. I am so glad that God doesn't avoid the junkyards of our lives. Even more, he willingly steps into them and says, for by grace, you have been saved. Hey, I got a question for you. Do you feel like you're starting this year thriving or just surviving? I got a Casting Crown song about that very thing, reminding us that we were made to more than just survive. We were made to thrive. I want to tell you about my friends at Foundations Family Therapy. They want to help you in the next seven weeks increase your mood, functioning, establish healthier patterns, learn to give yourself grace and forgiveness, be more productive, be more positive thrive. Raise your hand if that sounds good. I'm going to guess that your hand is up because mine is too. Foundations Family Therapy, their mission is to help families thrive. And they know that one-on-one counseling may not always be doable for everyone. So they've created an online course that you can do anytime and anywhere. From Surviving to Thriving is a self-paced online course taught by a licensed marriage and family therapist. This course can help you get unstuck and move forward. It should be noted that this is not a substitute for professional mental health care. And if you are in need of mental health care, you should seek out a local therapist in your area. So here's what I want you to do. You don't have to feel like you're just getting through each day. There's no better time than the start of a new year to stop surviving and start thriving. Check out our online courses to start out 2023 with hope. With promo code WEST25, you will receive 25% off any course registration. Visit the link in the show notes to get started today and make 2023 your best year yet. God of the Junkyard. For several days after my virtual show, I kept thinking about those words I'd seen scroll across my phone. Is God done with me? And I kept hearing the voice of my cab driver singing my own song back to me, the one who runs in my direction when the whole world walks away. Grace is what I sing about so often because it is what I've always needed. It makes me think of those verses in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. One of my favorite things about traveling the country with my job is how I get to see all the amazing stories of the work God is doing in the lives of ordinary people. It seems like God takes the very things that break us and uses them to heal others. He is always working through our weakness to make us the best versions of ourselves. There are too many incredible stories to tell you and too many amazing people to recount, but I can remember two that stand out as proof that God uses us in our brokenness. I met my friend Rusty from the Quad Cities of Iowa and Illinois several years ago. Rusty spent years making one mistake after another, always in trouble with the law and in and out of jail. Now he's the executive director of a ministry called 180. He met Jesus while he was serving time behind bars, and that is when God gave him the dream to start an organization to help people like him. 
Rusty told me that a few years after getting out of prison, he launched his ministry with the help of some friends and $500 to buy a trailer. God took Rusty's brokenness and turned it into his strength. God took a man in prison who was willing and faithful and used him to grow a ministry that now works to bring hope, love, and opportunity to people and communities dealing with crisis, poverty, and addiction. And the 180 ministry is bold about the fact that they help build people and help people build a relationship with Jesus. In Florida, I had the privilege to meet Eric Smallridge and Renee Napier. They have an incredible story of grace and redemption. In 2002, Eric was driving drunk and killed Renee's daughter, Megan, and Megan's friend Lisa in a horrible car accident. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Renee came to forgive Eric even while grieving the loss of her daughter. And in turn, Eric decided to make something positive out of his tragic mistake. Less than two years after Megan's death, Renee began giving DUI presentations to high schools, colleges, military groups, churches, and DUI offenders. Since 2004, she has reached over 100,000 people with her talk about Eric's decision to drink and drive and the healing power of forgiveness. Eric was granted permission to join Renee in her speaking campaign back in 2010. He captures the audience by boldly recounting the crash in his life in prison. Renee and Eric end every presentation with a compelling embrace. It's amazing to see a mother embracing the man who was responsible for her daughter's unnecessary death. I've witnessed it with my own eyes inside the walls of a maximum security Florida prison, singing and leading worship for an audience of inmates who were all serving life sentences. With Renee on my left and Eric on my right, we lifted the words of the song Forgiveness and watched hands go up and tears fall down as a crowd in orange prison uniforms praised the God who is in the junkyard business. It is humbling to see how God is using their relationship to educate and heal other people. It's an incredible reminder of the way God works in the world. We are never too broken or too imperfect for God to stay with us. And it is never too late for God to use us. Maybe that has been my problem all along. The disgrace of Downers Grove. Just a few miles from where the six-time NBA champions competed night after night, another group of champions played. The Downers Grove Junior varsity boys basketball team and on that team was a young Matthew West yes I owned a pair of Air Jordans but that was where all of the athletic comparisons between me and the famous number 23 who played for our Chicago Bulls ended I was one of five guys who didn't play all the time but when we did the coach would substitute us all in at the same time he told us to play as hard as we could for a few minutes and not to worry if we committed a foul on the other team we may have occupied the bench and been the second team in practice, but we had created our own identity. We were called the Mad Dogs. We would run hard, dive on the floor, and be tough while the starters were on the bench catching their breath. I like to think that we were the muscle of the team. Now, we couldn't hit a shot to save our lives, but we would wear out the other team while we were in the game. Our coach was a tough guy, and he would humiliate us at times if we didn't do the right thing. There were some long, hard, miserable practices where I would remember him telling me I might be better off on a different team as he pointed to the cheerleading squad practicing their pyramid at the other end of the gym. Ouch. But this story isn't really about basketball. It's a lesson about grace and who we allow to define us. Of course, everyone knew I was the preacher's kid, and there were certain expectations for behavior that came along with that. And most of the time, I lived up to those as best I could. But one time, 
Our team was playing a particularly close game against one of our rival high schools. And we came to that moment in the contest when the coach looked at the bench and yelled for the Mad Dogs. Into the game I went. A few minutes later, I remember getting called for a foul and having an unpreacher's kid-like word leave my lips at one of those rare, quiet moments in the gym. It felt like it was happening in slow motion. The word was coming out like one of those bubbles in a cartoon, and I wanted to reach out and grab it and put it back and eat it before anyone could hear. But it was too late. The referees gave me a technical foul, and I was ejected from the game. The coach was furious with my foul and my vulgar response, and he began to scream so loud that the entire gym could hear him. Matthew West, you are a disgrace to this team, a disgrace to the school, and a disgrace to the entire town of Downers Grove. I walked back to the locker room humiliated. I knew my dad was in the crowd. I knew everyone had heard me and the coach. I was embarrassed and felt so much shame. I wanted to tell you this story because, yes, I messed up. And in that moment in front of the whole gym, that coach named me a disgrace. What I've learned is that the world will do that to you from time to time. Sometimes you'll be the hero. Sometimes you'll be the disgrace. I don't remember anything about the result of that basketball game. I can't even remember the final score. And I certainly don't remember anything the coach said to me after the game. But I do remember that as I came out of the locker room, my dad just put his arm around my shoulders as we walked to the car and said, I love you, son. You know, there are ups and downs in life. You can't pay too much attention to the praise or the criticism. You can't be tempted to find your identity in either one. It hit me later that dad was just reminding me of who I truly was in that moment. I was his and he loved me. Dad still grounded me for the bad word I said, but thinking back on that moment, makes me see how God has been there for me the same way when I've messed up. If I'll just keep my eyes on him, he'll walk with his arm around me and remind me who I am, his son. That understanding might explain why, if you Google Matthew West lyrics, you'll see the word grace everywhere you look. It is at the heart of everything I write because I know how badly I need it. I have to sing it all the time to remind myself it is like oxygen to my soul. I wrote a song on my last record called The Man Who Needed Grace. The lyrics are pretty straightforward. Once upon a time, there was a man who needed grace with a trail of bad decisions left behind him. Feeling like forgiveness can never find him. That is me so often. I need grace in the ways I take control over my own life. I need grace for the ways that my spiritual life can sometimes feel like an obligation. I need grace for my moodiness, grace for my rough edges, grace for the dark corners of my character, grace for the times when I give into temptation, grace for me and grace for other people. I need grace for the ways I'm telling myself I don't measure up. We all face those lies that we aren't good enough, we can't be forgiven, or are just too broken for God to use us. I smile as I think of how God has taken the disgrace of Downers Grove and inspired me to write a whole bunch of songs and even a few books about my favorite word in the English language, grace. I wonder if you've ever felt the heavy weight of those three extra letters, dis, D-I-S. They can heap onto your weary soul so much weight. What have you been told that you're the disgrace of? Have you ever felt like the disgrace of your family, the disgrace of your church, the disgrace of your profession, the disgrace of the whole school? Or maybe your junkyard is one that only you know about, and the question that flashed across my cell phone, is God done with me? 
circles around in your mind like a broken record spinning the same song over and over again. Disgrace is a heavy word, but remember that God wasn't done with Peter, the disgrace of the disciples. He wasn't done with Jonah, the disgrace in the belly of a fish. He wasn't done with David, the disgrace of his kingdom, and he's not done with you. You've heard the old cliche, one man's trash is another man's treasure. What if you dared to believe that one sinner's junkyard is our Savior's treasure? Throughout history, God has been lifting up and removing three heavy letters, D-I-S, one soul at a time. I think he is running straight for you with arms open wide. Hey, now it's time for songs from the story house. Today's song from the story house is the newest song that I just released uh, this past Friday. It's off of the My Story, Your Glory album, the double album that's coming on February 17th. The album is divided uh, into two, like I just said. My Story is album one and Your Glory is album two. Now, My Story, uh, you've already heard um, the title cut, My Story, Your Glory. Um, the My Story album is me doing what I do, telling the story of people's lives, telling my story. And then Your Glory is my first ever more worship-driven album. And this song is from the Your Glory album. It's called You Changed My Name. And I want you to go ahead and uh, dive in. I'm going to get to share a little bit of how the song came to be. So let's do it. All right, I want to tell you the story of the song You Changed My Name. This song began in a minor league hockey arena locker room. I was writing songs with Jeremy Camp and uh, our friend Jordan Sapp. And we, had, we wrote one and a half songs that day, one and a quarter songs. We wrote uh, the song Keep Me In The Moment, which Jeremy had on the radio. I love that song. And, um, and then we started this other song, You Changed My Name but we never finished it. And when I was making the worship side of this double album, I kept coming back to what we had written. And it was just kind of this very um, beginning thing of the chorus. It just felt very singable. You changed my name, you changed my name. It almost felt like a worship version of the song, Hello My Name Is, which has been a song that like I play in my set every single night. And it's all about identity and finding our identity in Christ. Um, and so there was something about this that I loved because it felt somewhat connected to that, but almost like the worship version of that, if that makes any sense. And so I dug this back up and wound up finishing it. And it just feels like such a special song. It's just this reminder of like, I once was this, like my name was this, but now my name is, you know what I mean? And so I loved that idea. Um, my favorite lyric is in the bridge and it just declares this truth. I don't have to answer to any name the enemy tries to call me. I don't have to answer to any name but chosen child of God. And uh, man, I think it's so important to have anthems about identity. Second um, Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And when we find our identity in Him, we realize that identity does not change. We are who He says we are. The Bible calls Satan the enemy, uh, the father of lies, which means he's really good at lying. It means he can he can deceive us and get us to believe a lie about who we are. 
Um, but when we remember who we belong to and we remember what he says about us, we can live in the new identity we've been given because he's changed our name, not just for once, but forever. My name was lost till your love reached down. You rescued me, now my name is found. I was a slave to my sin and shame, but those chains fell off when you changed my name. You changed my Change my name from too far gone to save by grace, and now I am forever changed. All because you changed my name. You
All right, you guys know how we close out every episode. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Play his theme song, please. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, thanks for joining me. We are closing out the first month of the year, getting close to it here. Can you send us out with some Dad Advice encouragement today? I sure can. I'm going to talk about praising God. That's a, always a challenge for me. Uh, you asked me one dad advice, so do I have some uh, resolutions? One that I always have as I go into a new year is, is I want to praise God more and complain less, but it seems like I have a big challenge on that. So praising God in this new year, again, we're at the already the end of January. Psalm 117, 1 and 2, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you people, for great is his love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. That word extol means to praise enthusiastically. And sometimes that's hard to do when you're facing all kinds of trials and testings and even in the winter months, it can challenge us, like you'd mentioned before, Matthew. Three things this verse encourages us to praise God for quickly. One, great works. Praise Him for all He has done. Psalm 145.1, every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Secondly, great love. Notice that this verse doesn't just say that God loves us, but it describes his love for us as great. Great is his love for us. Great means above normal or average. We praise him for his great love. First Chronicles 16.34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Here's a great quote. I can't brag about my love for God because I fail him daily. But I can brag about his love for me because it never fails. And then lastly, great faithfulness. We praise him for his faithfulness, which lasts forever. Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. We have a God who is faithful. In a world that struggles with loyalty and faithfulness, we have a God who is faithful, a God who stays. Mm. My dad advice for today, notice how I got your song in there? My dad advice for today is to take time every day to praise God for his great works, great love, and great faithfulness. That's awesome. Thanks, Dad. Okay, that's our show for today. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for letting me sit in the main part of the Story House studio. My dog, Rocky, has behaved well as I've recorded. So thanks to Rocky for joining me today. And thank you. I hope it's been an encouragement to you, whether it's something I read from The God Who Stays or the message of You Changed My Name or the encouraging words that my dad always brings. That's my hope is that every episode of this podcast is just a part of your day that points you to Jesus. All right. That's the goal. So. Um, if you'd like to receive more materials like today's podcast, if we can be praying for you, if you want to hear more about our ministry, if you'd like to share your story of what God's doing in your life, or if you want to start receiving a free weekly email devotional that thousands of people are already receiving, Day One Devos, I write them every week, and I'd love to include you in that list. Go to popwe.org today, P-O-P-W-E.org. Get plugged into our ministry. Find community there. We hope you'll join us. All right, go make the most of the one life you get. And remember, it's your story for his glory. 
Here we go. It's pretty close to album release time, February 17th. And uh, that song and that record's going to come to life. So your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.